Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. It's rapid reaction time. Welcome to the Field Goals Podcast. I am Dan Viennes. I was at the game for half of it on a cold night at Lumen Field. Cold night. Watch the second half from the warm comfort of my own couch. One of the advantages to living so close to the stadium. Uh, not a good night for the Seahawks. They lose their fourth game in their last five. Their record now stands at an even 7-7, seven and 21-13 seven, to 13 the final score today as they lose to the 49ers at home. Uh, San Francisco improves to 9-4, and four, and they now clinch the NFC West. A couple weeks ago, we looked ahead to this game, thought this Thursday night matchup would be one where the, the Seahawks should be able to take a step towards potentially winning the division. They cannot. And now their playoff odds drop to 33%, according to 538 Dot com. They are outside the playoff picture currently. The Giants and Commanders uh, both sit at 7-5-1 and one with that tie against each other looming large. Actually giving them an advantage over the Seahawks, um, being that they're the two teams the Seahawks are fighting for that last wildcard spot. Uh, next week, a uh, week from Saturday, actually, Christmas Eve, they travel, the Seahawks do, to Kansas City, who sits at 10-3 and three on the season. That game will be in Kansas City. Um, welcome in, everybody. This one was weird. Very, very strange game. First of all, that just the vibe from the beginning in the stadium. These weeknight games are always tough. It's so hard for people to get into the stadium um, that I would say at kickoff and well into the first quarter, the 300 level uh, of Lumen Field was half, half empty. Uh, because people have a hard time getting to the stadium. They have a hard time getting in those last second lines and then they want to get something to eat or whatever. So there was a, at the end of the first quarter, there was a massive pile up uh, in the aisle um, right next to my seats because people were just getting into the stadium and they were trying to get up to their seats. I wonder sometimes why then the visiting team, when they win the toss like the Niners did, and especially considering that they had such an advantage on paper, seemingly they're rushing offense against the Seahawks struggling rushing defense, why they don't take the ball because the crowd's not a factor early in the game. But, you know, analytics being what they are and they, they like that extra possession in the second half and they chose to defer. Um, but a very bizarre game. Tale of, of really, well, tale of two different games. The first quarter and then the rest of the game. And then it hinged on two or three plays. So let's just get to that. Let's just kind of kind of go through uh, what happened. That first quarter was about as ugly as you can imagine. It was about what I expected. A couple of days ago with Rob Guerrero on the show here, uh, he was surprised to learn that I I thought the Seahawks were going to get rolled. I thought it was going to look a lot like the 49ers score last week against the Buccaneers when they when they won 35 to seven going away. Uh, first quarter was as ugly as I had feared. 108 total yards to two yards for the Seahawks. 7.2 yards per play for the 49ers to 0.2 
for the Seahawks. Brock Purdy was nine for nine passing. Geno Smith, three out of seven passing. And yet it was only seven, nothing. An absolutely beautifully designed play by Kyle Shanahan led to a, uh, a George Kittle touchdown pass from Brock Purdy, where he uh, faked to the left flat, faked to the right flat, and then turned back to the middle of the field, and uh, George Kittle was wide open on that play. Leave it to George Kittle to have a, uh, a good game, finally. A, against the Seahawks, and B, the week that I get eliminated from the fantasy football playoffs by a tiebreaker, and George Kittle hadn't done anything for me all year. Um, <laughs> at least maybe I'll win my consolation bracket. Um, so even after all that, it's, it's seven, nothing. And in fact, the first drive for the 49ers Seahawks defense held forced a three and out. It was on their second drive that they went down and got the touchdown. Then we get into the second quarter and they're trading punches and it, and, and the Seahawks defense held it together. There were a couple of big plays here and there, but for the most part, they were holding them in check. So we get to the end of the half. Quandre Diggs drops a sure interception inside about a minute and a half left in the half. Didn't seem significant at the time because they still held. San Francisco had to punt the ball back to the Seahawks. So the Seahawks had the ball. Uh, it was seven to three. Um, and they had the ball with a chance to go down and score maybe before the half. But then a couple of plays, four plays into that drive, Travis Homer gets hit and fumbles the football inside the 10-yard line, gives it right back to San Francisco. Two runs uh, from Christian McCaffrey up the middle, produces a touchdown. So just like that, going into the half, now it's 14-3 instead of 7-3 at worst. But Seattle was starting to move the ball a little bit in the second quarter. Might have had a chance to at least get a field goal to cut that lead even more. So now it's 14 to three and San Francisco comes out of halftime because they deferred and they start with the football. And on the second play of the half, Brock Purdy hits George Kittle for 54 yards. His second touchdown of the game, just like that, it is 21 to six. Seahawks did get the, uh, uh, the field goal there uh, right before the half. Um, so it's 21 to six at that point. And the, now the game seems over. And, and on that play, by the way, uh, Kittle's wide open. It was a clear busted coverage. Seahawks defense really did well overall. When you just, the eye test today, watching the game in the stadium and then the second half on TV, just coverage was fairly tight. They were around the football, got a little bit of pressure on Purdy, kept McCaffrey in check. There were just a couple of big plays, and this was one of them. Um, it appears that most people seem to believe it was the rookie Tariq Woolen who busted his coverage, um, didn't take the right zone assignment, and uh, left Kittle wide open. So then it's 21-6. You think the game's over. Like, 49ers is going to run this one out, right? But again, the third quarter, Seattle found something. They start moving the football. Geno Smith starts, starts to get some rhythm. The short passing game was working. There wasn't anything downfield. The offensive line, really, those rookie tackles, Charles Cross and Abe Lucas going up against Nick Bosa, Eric Armstead, Ebucan, all those guys held their own. I mean, there was, there was pressure. Geno felt pressure today. Took three sacks. But really, those kids, I thought, held their own. And, and it was interesting to see what they did with Bosa, the 49ers. They started him out against Cross. And then in the second half, they moved him to the other side. They flipped him over 
against Lucas. He was all over. He was around Geno Smith all day. But I thought for as good, as dominating a player as he is, I actually thought Cross and Lucas held up pretty well. But third quarter, man, the Seahawks are, were, they, weren't, they weren't scoring any points, but they were starting to move the football, and the defense was holding. At the end of the third quarter, remember what we said in the first quarter, right? 108 yards to two, 7.2 yards per play to .2. Purdy, nine out of nine. Geno Smith, three out of seven. At the end of the third quarter, 49ers held their, their advantage in total yards, 243 to 194 yards per play, 6.1. Seahawks up to 4.1. Purdy was 15 out of 20 at that point. Geno's 25 out of 33. And the Seahawks actually had run more plays at, by the end of the third quarter, 47 to 40, than the 49ers. And then to start the fourth quarter, teams traded punts on four straight drives. Seahawks defense really held up well. And what was remarkable about that, regardless, of course, or, 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 at least relative to your feelings about Jordan Brooks and how good a player he is, went out in the fourth quarter with what appeared to be a neck injury. Um, At one point they said he was probable to come back in, but they took his helmet away. He didn't play again. So Tanner Muse, the converted college safety, was playing middle linebacker for Jordan Brooks. And yet the Seahawks were holding, were, were forcing punts. And then... The Seahawks went on a seven-play, 67-yard drive. Ransom, no huddle on this drive. Really tried to pick up the pace. Geno throws a 10-yard touchdown to Noah Fant. Now it's 21-13 to with three minutes and 35 seconds left. Got to get a stop. But much like the Carolina Panthers last, game, last Sunday, in fact, precisely like the Carolina Panthers, um, 49ers ran it down the field. In fact, busted a big run. Um got down within the five-yard line, and then just took a knee at that point rather than try to run up the score. So in one sense, 21-13, it looks closer than the story of the game really was. But man, I'm telling you, this thing came down to a couple of plays. Diggs catches that ball that's right in his hands. Homer never fumbles that football. You know, it's 7-6 at worst going into the half. Um... Who knows? So, final stats. Geno Smith in this one, 31 out of 44, 238 yards, uh, a touchdown, no interceptions. Had a couple of close ones. In fact, had a pick six to Demondre Lenore that was called back by a very, very questionable roughing the passer penalty. So, this game could have looked a lot worse. Uh, there were some really, really poor calls against the Seahawks, though. So, um, maybe we'll call that one even. Did take the three sacks. Kenneth Walker came back in this one and looked 100%. Um, was on the field for just about every snap tonight and uh, and looked fine. Um, that ankle looked looked healthy. He was cutting. He was running hard. Um, 12 carries, 47 yards, 3.9 average against that defense. That's not bad. I mean, the game kind of got out of hand there when it was 21-6 to and, and you had to throw the ball 44 times. He also had four catches for 32 yards. Kenneth Walker was pretty good tonight. Um, Gino spread the ball around. Tyler, seven catches, 68 yards. DK, seven catches, 55 yards. Noah Fant with five catches. So for the second game in a row, Tyler and DK, the same number of catches. 
Uh, DK had a, had another downfield catch, about a 40-yarder, um, where he went up and high-pointed it over the defender. Um, they called him for offensive pass interference, so another really, really touchy call. Um, but that's it. Seahawks lose. 49ers clinch the division. Seahawks playoff chances dropped to 33%. What did this loss tell us? I think we kind of know now who this team is. I mean, this has been the theme in this show for a couple of weeks. We got excited during the four-game winning streak. Beat four teams, a couple of quality teams in there. All four of those wins by double digits. But a classic case of, of, you know, sometimes things aren't as good as they look. Sometimes they're not as bad as they look. I thought this was a gutty effort by the Seahawks defense and a really gutsy effort by Geno Smith. After, after an ugly, ugly first quarter, for him to hang in there against that defense and the pressure he faced every time he dropped back and maybe didn't get any favors from Shane Waldron. A lot of people, a lot of chatter on Twitter tonight that uh, this might might have been Shane Waldron's poorest game as a play caller this year. Really didn't give Geno a lot of help. Not, not a lot of under center, not a lot of play action. Just kind of let him drop back and throw it 40 plus times and let that 49er defense tee off on him and, and, and really trust that offensive line. But Geno against that and with in, in really tight coverage, not a lot of guys running wide open, stuck some throws in there. Um, I thought he was impressive once again. Uh, it tells us that the talent gap between the 49ers and the Hawks is significant. But again, I, I just, I'm coming away from this game understanding where this team was coming into the season and, and what's at stake and, and what was realistic for them this year. That I, I, I thought it would have been really easy for them to let this game get away, especially as young as they are. And they didn't. They just didn't. I think that's to their credit. Um, cause this is, this is kind of who we thought they'd be, right? We thought they'd be young and the youth would show, showed on the busted coverage as good as Tariq Wollin has been, hasn't been playing cornerback for very long. He's going to see some things, especially against a guy like Shanahan that he's never seen before. Shanahan's a master at setting things up, running things out of, you know, different plays out of the same formation, running a play that's going to give you a certain look so that later in the game, they go back to it. And you're expecting one thing and he gives you another. Wollin's going to learn from that. There's holes on this roster. They have an offseason coming up with four picks in the top 50, 55. Of course, with each Seahawk loss now, that second pick in the first round keeps getting better. They may, they may end up out of this thing with two top 15 picks, including one in the top three um, uh, in the first and the second round. Uh, and then it's it's the same issues week in, week out. I think that's... In a in a kind of a twisted way, that's encouraging to me anyway. It's the same issues. And one of those is that interior offensive line. They just got beat up today. They got killed. I mean, Austin Blythe and, and Gabe Jackson at right guard just got abused. Um that needs to be addressed, needs to be fixed. Uh Al Woods didn't play in this game uh because he had the the injury from last week, the hamstring uh, or the Achilles injury uh, wasn't ready to go this week. And then uh, early in this one, Brian Monet went out. So I thought, given that, you know, those are their, their two biggest, strongest dudes in the middle. Uh, I thought Quentin Jefferson and, and Shelby Harris and, and Puna Ford did a nice job up front. 
um, really standing up to that that San Francisco offensive line, and they the defense hung. They gave the Seahawks a shot to win this game. Diggs hangs on to that interception. Homer doesn't fumble. Who knows? Uh, and I'll say it again. I thought uh, Geno Smith was really gutsy. I thought this was interesting. Went over to Twitter uh, just to gauge where people would be. Because after last week, people were just crapping all over Geno Smith. And, and some of the momentum seemed to have shifted in the fan narrative over the last week to, hey, we got to get a quarterback. Geno's not good enough. And, and I defended him on the show. I thought he played better than he... You know, it was the two picks that everybody focused on, but I thought he played well otherwise in that game for the most part. And, you know, not everyone's going to be perfect. But I was surprised to see. Let's go through Twitter a little bit here. And, and this is not me cherry picking. This is me just scrolling down and seeing things like this uh, from Hustle Chilson. Seahawks have a bunch of good young players, but need some more. So thankful for those four fairly high draft picks next season. Makes it easy to feel optimistic about the future. Becca Rebecca at Becca Rebecca. Look, none of us thought we'd win seven games this year. The playoffs are still a possibility with a top five pick. With it as good as Geno has been in this team, we aren't a Super Bowl caliber team yet, but a strong draft and good free agency, and that gap closes. Uh, at Yellow Haynes, Seahawks playing with house money in 2022. We're surprisingly competitive with far less talent. Found out Geno is for real and have a ton of high draft picks coming. We'll be back to kicking the 49ers ass very soon. Congrats, though, San Francisco, on a good year. At Sammy on tap, the Seahawks better ride with Geno Smith after the season. Who else is with me on this? Do not waste a draft pick on a QB. Go get another defensive lineman and offensive. Go get another corner. Get a third wide receiver. Get another linebacker. Go get Super Bowl roster ready. Geno can win. So still a lot of you optimistic and realistic out there. And that's where I'm at. You know, I uh, went into a game like this, not expecting them to win, but just wanting to see how they would stand up to the 49ers, who even with Brock Purdy playing quarterback, um, man, I'd take him against the, the Eagles right now. That'd be, that'd be a fun matchup, but I'd, I think the 49ers are the best team in the NFC, especially if Purdy can keep, keep playing like this. And we keep hearing about how QB-friendly Shanahan's offense is. I will say this, though. I had some people on Twitter tonight talk about how good Purdy is and it's going to be a tough decision with for the 49ers next year when Trey Lance comes back healthy. Um, pump the brakes on that. Uh, I do see a guy who's operating efficiently within this offense and he has a lot of things working in his favor. That running game is very, very, very friendly to the quarterback. But Brock Purdy showed on a number of occasions tonight why he wasn't drafted until the final pick in the draft in the seventh round. He was known for having a, uh, I referred to his arm as a pea shooter arm. He does not have a strong arm. He has a hitch in his throwing motion. As the league learns him, uh, he might struggle. He's going to struggle to get the ball into tight windows. Uh, he was inaccurate on some throws today. Um, uh, and, and I just, let's pump the brakes on the legend of Brock Purdy. He's playing well, but physically I'm not sure that he has the toolkit to stand up uh, and deliver each and every week once defenses start to figure him out a little bit. Uh, I just want to say one thing before we go. Um, and there was a moment of silence in the stadium today to start the game, and I was really appreciative of that. Uh, we lost Mike Leach a couple days ago, and... Um, Man, if we don't get enough reminders on a daily basis that life is precious and short and, and to enjoy each day um, as much as you can and enjoy the people in your life, 
Um, Mike Leach is only four years older than I am. And, and while if you listen to my old podcast, you, you know that I, I didn't always love the way he coached between the lines. Um, there is no denying his impact on college football and professional football. You know, it wasn't that long ago that, that it was said that the air raid and, and the concepts of that offense could never work in the NFL. Guys like Mike Leach could never work in the NFL. And now you see concepts of the air raid woven into a lot of offenses around the league. He was colorful. He was hilarious at times. Um, I can't even imagine trying to be a reporter working his beat, <laughs> having him rarely answer the questions you ask him. But you know what? A lot of times those answers that he gave were a lot more entertaining than they would have been. Suffered a heart attack at his home last weekend and um, passed away on Tuesday morning. Um, it was rough. You know, we lost a member of the Cougar family and uh, my heart goes out to his family. And it's just it's just hard to believe that Mike Leach is gone. So I uh, just wanted to say that and uh, rest in peace and go Cougs. Seahawks at Kansas City. Uh, it's a 10 a.m. kickoff Pacific time on Christmas Eve morning next uh, week from Saturday. Playoff chances stand at 33%. We'll see how the Giants and Commanders do this weekend. That's who they're chasing. Um, it's going to be a tough task going to Kansas City and winning a game there. And then you come home and you get the Jets at home and the Rams at home. But here's one final note as well. Home field advantage, not really a thing at Lumen Field. That was their third straight loss at home. And they dropped to three and four on the season at Lumen Field. Um, crowd just wasn't wasn't intimidating tonight at all. I, I wanted to see how the rookie quarterback would play in that moment, and uh, I don't think it was. Uh, I don't think that was the atmosphere that a lot of other guys over the years have had to face. Just wasn't uh, wasn't an intimidating atmosphere, especially after they got up on the Seahawks early. So twenty one to three, the final score of that one. Seahawks are now seven and seven, and they're on the outside looking in in the playoff chase. Um, still got a shot, you know, still going to make games interesting right down to the wire. And, uh, and that's always fun, but we're not too far away from beginning to look into the off season and look at next year. And I think that's where the focus should be. So, um, congratulations to the 49ers on winning the NFC West. Once again, I'm Dan Vienge. You can find me on Twitter at Seahawks forever, uh, read fieldgoals.com. Their post-game analysis and the way they look at games um, from every conceivable angle, as well as breaking news and, and analysis each and every day. Definitely check them out. And if you like the podcast, you like what we do, uh, hit that subscribe button on whichever podcast app you use. That way you'll get notifications of new episodes. And if you really like what we do, leave us a review. We'd appreciate it. I will talk to you soon. I'll be back Monday with Michael Thompson. We're going to talk draft. We're going to do a live mock draft. We'll know after the weekend where the Seahawks pick at that time. And uh, we're just going to do it live and work through it together and see maybe, maybe if the Seahawks can put together a defense with all those high picks. That'll be Monday. Until then, enjoy your weekend, everybody. Dana will be along in a couple of days as well. Thanks for listening to Field Goals. See you soon.